Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show that is so bad, even Limburger Cheese thinks it stinks. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Yes, it is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast dedicated to all of us pipe smokers around the world. I am your host, Brian Levine, and it is Thursday night again. Boy, was that a fast week. But in tonight's show, in Pipe Parts, going to talk about rope and plug tobaccos. Ropes and plug tobaccos. A little history on them, a little bit of things to do with them. My guest, Adam Cardone, magician, illusionist. Talk to him and uh, pipe smoker as well. Uh, later on, music because it's cold and I'm tired of the cold and I'm a little cranky from all the cold, but music. Got one more uh, Bob Bittner piece that I really like. You have to listen to the show on a regular basis to get a whole bunch of, to get the jokes in this one, but I'm sure most of you will. Uh, Mailbag and rant all coming up in this episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. And uh, ask me why I'm cranky a little bit. Well, we're still dealing with insurance companies at home. We finally got the insurance adjuster's report on how much they'll take to or how much they'll give us to fix up the house and apparently there's this game that they play a little bit of and it's where they go low then they send out a contractor and he goes high and now we're waiting and the back and forth is going on with that so we are still living without a floor and missing part of the ceilings uh but anyway it's kind of ruined my pipe smoking routine because that cabinet's all packed up and put away for safety but I uh, did get a chance to watch a lot of the last weekend of the Olympics. Always sorry to see the Olympics go, but uh, hey, you know, four more years and we'll be seeing the Winter Olympics from South Korea. All right, everybody, let's get the show going. So sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you to the fine folks at Sutliff Tobacco Company. And here we go. The term one-stop shop is so overused. There's no place that is literally a one-stop shop. Well, guess what? When it comes to your quality tobacco products, there is. It's CupOJoes.com. With hundreds of pipe tobacco blends, thousands of pipes in stock, a wide variety of cigars, coffees, accessories, and so much more. All you have to do is go to CupOJoes.com, and there it is. CupOJoes.com. Quality products, extraordinary prices. I'm not just a pipe smoker. I'm a Meerschaum pipe smoker. All of my pipes come from MeershamStore.com. They've been in business for 50 years, and I can trust that there will be no hassles. Orders are processed and shipped fast, and they have every shape you can imagine, including Calabash, Claws, Dragons, Horror, even a sexy series. MeershamStore.com, the most trusted Meersham store for 50 years. This is Rad Davis, and you're listening to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Welcome back. In just a minute, Adam will be on the phone with me. We got a surprise, fun thing at the end of at the end of the uh, discussion with Adam. In the meantime, for pipe parts, yeah, I thought I'd go back and touch on the plug and rope tobaccos. Uh, plug tobaccos come in a brick, solid pressed brick that you use a knife and cut off pieces. Rope tobaccos come spun like a uh, like a continuous cigar. And you just in a rope. You buy them by the inch or by the ounce, and uh, as you want to, you cut pieces off, and away you go. Uh, these go back to the times when tobaccos were used for dual purposes. Uh, many of you that have poked around on eBay or other places will see. Uh, Prince Albert pipe tobacco, where it says good in your pipe or good as a, in a cigarette. It's because the, the tobacco itself was meant for either 
yeah, smoking in a pipe or using it in rolling paper. So it had a dual purpose. So you go back and you look at rope and plug tobaccos. Why were they made that way? First of all, we'll talk about the process. Everything gets blended, and then the plugs get pressed into these very hard cakes that help them age. The ropes are made essentially the same way as a cigar, where the the leaves of the blend are blended together, a little binder and a wrapper, and they're all put on by hand and then put onto a take-up reel. It's the same way Escudo and Three Nuns is done nowadays. The difference is... The ropes are left in a continuous rope where Escudo and Three Nuns are run through a specialized cutter to cut the little discs. Well, the reason they did these this way, and in particular the rope, was because during the day, oftentimes the coal miners or the uh, the workers that were that liked this tobacco, they couldn't smoke it in a pipe. What they did with it was they'd cut off pieces with their knives and they'd chew on it. So it was used as a chewing tobacco during the day because you didn't want to smoke while you were down in the coal mines or wherever you were working and you weren't able to light a flame or deal with lighting and packing and relighting a pipe. So this was a way for those guys that wanted tobacco during the day to chew that tobacco and then at night, when they'd get out of the mines and they were in the pubs or wherever they were, then they could cut it and go through the same process that we do with every flake tobacco, which is rub it out to the consistency that you want and pack it. What I think we want to look at a little bit more is that the rope tobaccos in particular and the, and the plugs a little bit themselves they offer us another chance to really kind of customize the way we smoke the tobaccos. Uh, the, ro- the ropes and the plugs, depending on the thickness of the cut and the way you tuck and fold, it'll give off different tastes. The thicker the cut is, it's going to be harder to get it lit and harder to keep it lit, but it'll smoke a whole lot longer. If you sit there and you use your knife and you break it down all the way, you can cut them up real fine and get a real fine cut. You can use your hands once you cut the slices and rub them out. Uh, One thing that I will say about ropes, the ropes that are on the market today, very intense. In most cases, they are really strong, full-bodied, full-flavored, high-impact tobaccos. Uh, Aging them, aging them does wonders for them, but... What you got to be careful with with aging them is getting them into an airtight environment. The more, the less air you have in that environment, the better they're going to age and the better they're going to work for you. Uh, the other thing you want to be careful with with the ropes is that you don't break the outer leaves of it. You want to be careful when you're storing them or carrying them that you don't break up those outer leaves because that'll start the rope to unravel faster and faster. Uh, try the ropes out. Try chewing them. If you want to be uh, want to be like the like they were intended to be, try taking a little piece off, put it between your cheek and gums. You'll really get the the tobacco taste of them. Then try smoking it. See the difference between the experience of smoking the same tobacco and chewing the same tobacco. You get a whole different tobacco experience from it. You may find out that it's like buying two or three different kinds of tobaccos all at once. So there you go. A little bit on rope and plug tobaccos. When you find a rope or a plug, it's going to be a whole lot more expensive than what you're used to seeing in flakes or even in high-grade English or uh, Virginia blends because they are labor-intensive. They're a specialty product. And there's uh, not a lot of variations out there, but give them a try if you're uh, if you're up to living a little a uh, little bit on the edge. So, all right, in just a minute, I'll have Adam on the phone with me. This is Internet Radio. I'm Mark from Ohio, and I've tried so many tobaccos, but I just still can't find something that is just magical—a tobacco that I can fall in love with. 
I mean, I've tried reading reviews online and participating in forum discussions only to get burned. When I was about to give up, I discovered this amazing matching system for finding my perfect blend at SutliftTobacco.com. That's how I found my perfect blend, and I just love it. Finding the right tobacco doesn't have to be hard. There are lots of tobaccos waiting for you to fall in love with them. Finding that special tobacco shouldn't be left up to chance. Experience the magic of compatibility with our patented perfect match system. Try it at SutliffTobacco.com. Go to SutliffTobacco.com right now and find your perfect blend. I am excited to welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show the first magician we've ever had, a pipe-smoking magician. We've had music, we've had musicians. Now we've gone all the way to Cardone, the <laughs> ultimate vaudeville magician. Adam, welcome to the show. Hey, how are you? So tell everybody, where did you grow yep. up? Where are you from? And how did how does one become a magician? Ah, well, I grew up in a, in a small town, Altoona, Pennsylvania, right, pretty much right in the middle of Pennsylvania. And um, I started, I started doing magic pretty. Uh, I was pretty young. I um, I wasn't the sporty type. Uh, I was the kid that was on the, the. All the other kids were outside playing, and I was indoors, um, setting up stuffed animals and doing magic shows for the stuffed animals. You know that was. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of what I was doing, and it, it, I started as most magicians. You know, I I got a magic kit from my granddad, uh, late seventies, and I played with the kit. <clears throat> and then, as I got older, I went into a magic shop in Philadelphia. I was on a trip. I don't even know why we were there, but we were there for something. And the magician said to me, "I had like twenty dollars to get something. I don't know. I didn't know what I was going to get." And he said, "You want to." A trick that's fun that you could show your friends, or do you want to make money doing magic? <laughs> now, I can't. In hindsight, I can't believe he actually said that to me because I was, I was like nine, ten years old, and I said I want to make money. So he said, "Okay, so now you got to think, what tricks are you going to be able to show your audience? Like, what tricks are going to be good at a birthday party or a dinner party?" And so he got my brain in a different gear at an early age, and so that's when it started. And I don't know what it was, but I. I, I knew I could do this, and I knew I could make money doing it. It was just kind of, it just seemed possible. And um, by the time I was in ninth grade, I was working on the weekends doing shows. Kids' parties are like, you know, county fair-type gigs, arts festivals, library shows, and stuff like that. And I actually had this agent guy that would send me out. And so my family saw me making bread and said, they kind of, they kind of supported it pretty quick. They were like, oh, all right. So then, you know, you graduate high school. What are you going to do? And so I had no – I didn't know what – there's no school for magic. So I, I knew – well, theater. I was already doing a lot of theater productions. So I I wanted to go to theater school. And the one I wanted to get into was really hard to get into, uh, Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh. Yeah, no kidding. And they're definitely – yeah, it's like the Army. It's like, the, it's like a boot camp style drama school. It's very competitive and – and if I didn't get in there, I didn't know what the heck I was going to do. And um, I actually got in. And then getting in is the, the it's not the easy part, but the hard part is staying in because they throw out half the class your first year. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it's really rough. And so I actually graduated, you know, the whole time I was doing magic. And then I moved to New York. And within a little less than a year, I found myself touring in a rock band. <laughs> so, mean, so wait I, a second wait 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 you're yeah you, oh, you're, yeah, yeah. you're a magician that goes mm -hmm. to drama school uh-huh <laughs> and graduates from a really tough school mm -hmm. and the first yeah. thing you do is you join a band yeah i'd always you know played bass guitar just for fun and in high school we had little crappy bands that we'd play in but um i ended up playing bass guitar I, we did six and a half years of you know being really busy and putting out records, and we got to open for all my favorite bands that I grew up with, like just killer shows. The problem was it's not a good business, as most musicians will tell you. Yeah. 
But while I was on tour, I'd come home and do magic shows. And that was, that was like the day job. You know, the day job is the magic show kind of stuff. And the night job is the musician gigs. So then after we, the band broke up in 2002, then I hit the magic full force. I, I, that's, uh, since then, I've been doing it pretty much full-time, nonstop. Well, um, go ahead and drop, name drop the band and who you opened for. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, the band is called Toilet Boys, and it's like the style of music. People describe it as like New York punk rock mixed with Motley Crue, mixed with um, just rock and roll. It's kind of a mixed match of... People call this sleaze rock, or they call this gutter rock, but it was rock and roll, you know. And I think the reason why we got lots of opening slots is we could we could do different types of shows. So we got we did we opened for Motorhead, um, the Ramones, Blondie. We did a bunch of shows with um, the Damned. We did the entire U.S. with the Damned, Cramps. Um, who else? And then well, then then we broke up, and then we still do shows though. So every now and then we go out, and last year we did Guns N' Roses, and the year before that we did a Spanish festival. We were on the same bill as Bob Dylan and and um, Chris Isaac. <laughs> so, oh, wow, I, I, it was just weird. I mean, it's kind of a fantasy land for me. Like we did all these crazy things, and we got to play at the Garden. Like we opened for Blondie at the Garden, which is crazy. <laughs> yeah, and but it was but it was fantasy. Like there's no money. The only money I made was we got a song in American Pie 2. And um, <laughs> we made money on that. And I still get checks, you know, royalty checks for that. But other than that, the money in that business is terrible. Because, you know, you're not selling a lot of records. And so you're op when you're opening for a headliner like that, you're not getting paid well. And you need a crew. You can't play an arena-sized show unless you have a crew. It's kind of impossible. So you got all these payouts, and it's just a bad business. But the magic is a, that's a good. There's money to be made, you know. So I always thought it's I love it. I can do it, you know, and make money. And that's that's my you know, I, it's been with me the longest, you know, it's like my old friend, you know. So besides so, the besides the traditional magic, where you, I know we talked, you do you do the small sleight of hand, the up close and personal stuff, and you've done some stage yep. stuff. Uh, yep. You also have started working on escapes. Yeah, I'm, I've been doing um, for a long time. Straight jacket, the straight jacket escape was a has been a part of my show now for you know maybe eight years now, and I do a real straight jacket escape. I don't use a, my whole straight jacket act is about magicians who use fake straight jackets. <laughs> I kind of expose fake straight jackets in the act, so I do a, it's the real thing. It's really hard to get out of, and it takes time. And uh, since then, I've expanded. I do a 50-foot rope challenge with police handcuffs. The audience ties me up, and I beat their time. And then two years ago, I um, it's been a dream of mine to do. Um, I wanted to do a milk can, which not many people do because of the logistics, um, and it's dangerous. You can drown. So um, I... I Two years ago, I unveiled it at Coney Island's Strongman Festival, and I did it. And it's the most nervous I've ever been my whole life. And I actually, when I do this, when I do the milk can, I quit smoking for two weeks before. I have to. It's um, it's like um, I basically have to get my breath holding back up for that. So I'll stop smoking completely for two weeks and uh, just work on holding my breath. Yeah, I, I spent a year getting ready for when I first did it because the guy was building me a can, and I had a year to get ready. So it was basically me in swimming pools just practicing holding my breath and, and not bugging out, you know, because once you're locked in, you're locked in. <laughs> so. Yeah. And uh, so, so, yeah, I, I mean, for me, escapes are really hard to do because the problem with an escape is everybody knows the end. You hopefully. Escape. I mean, that's, you know, yeah. Well, hopefully, yeah. <laughs> But it's, 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 it's a little bit of a problem when you're developing the actual routining of it because the end is a given. So how do you make it suspenseful and filled with excitement? And the milk can, you don't have to do much. It, it's exciting because it's actually dangerous. <laughs> so. so and you've all, you, 
you do some ventriloquism, which a lot mm -hmm. of people don't know. I hardly ever move my lips when I do this show. Ah, uh, that's funny. Yeah, I do a dummy less ventri ventriloquist act. Almost every time I do it in my show, I don't I don't have a puppet on stage. I do it without a puppet, which is the the old school version. Um, yeah, I, I, my show's a variety show. That's why it's I, it's a vaudeville magic show. It's got a little bit of ventriloquism escape. Um, magic, mind reading stunts. It's it's a mix match of lots of things. And for me like... as a selling show, it's it's easier to sell the show because it's got you know all sorts of stuff. So let's go yeah. back to uh, you, you for the milk can trick. You have to stop smoking a pipe yep. beforehand. When did you yep. start smoking a pipe? I started. Uh, good lord, I was trying to think of this the other day. I must have been about 14, 14 or 15, somewhere in there. And I, I found my dad had a few pipes. In particular, he had one that I liked. It was a Kerry Magic Inch. I don't know if you know that one. Yeah, they're still around. Yeah. So I, I have that. I still have it. It's um, It looks like a, a freehand. It's like a Danish freehand-looking pipe with a little filter. Um. And a, I found a bag of really dried-out tobacco. I have no idea what it was. And I took it in the backyard and smoked it without him knowing. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how, that's how I started. And then not long after that, in my grandma's house, I found a, a couple pipes. And um, I would smoke those, too. Now, I didn't know what these pipes were, which I'll get to in a second because it was kind of cool. And then after I hit... 16, there was a pipe shop in State College, Pennsylvania, which is not too far from where I grew up in Altoona, called the Tobacco Tavern, and the owner's name was Don. He's the first guy to bring me in, and I got to try new tobaccos, and I, I started learning about pipe smoking from the people in the shop and, and the owner. And so I would smoke these pipes that I had from my grandparents' house, and the guy was like, whoa, where'd you get that? I'm like, oh, it's my grandparents' house. And little did I know, it was, it was a Dunhill Shell Briar from like 19... I looked it up once where, when these pipes were made, but I, I found a website that had the whole thing broken down. It's like from the 30s, I believe. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful, beautiful sandblast. Beautiful. Perfect. Tastes great. And then the other one was another Shell Briar, a small one, a really tiny one. Um, and that one I didn't like because it got hot quick and it was just small, so... The Shell Briar, I, I still I still smoke the heck out of it. I had it refurbished. Uh, I had a, a, a Riemann, uh, what do you call it? The, like the deluxe Riemann clean by Cook, J.T. Cook. Oh, yeah. He did it. This is going back 10 years ago at least. He did a, yeah. he hooked me up, made it back to new. It's beautiful. It, uh, yeah, I, when I fill it up with an English blend, it's like, it, it smokes so good. It's like one of my favorite smokes. It's a straight, it's um. It's like a billiard. It's like a sandblast billiard. And I'm not a billiard fan. It's the only billiard pipe I really have that I smoke. I got to ask you, you're, you're a 16-year-old yep. kid that's in, that's smoking a pipe, interested in pipes, yep. doing magic, interested yep. in magic. Did you have any girlfriends? Yep, I did. Wow. I did. <laughs> Believe it or not. Hold on. I was the weirdo kid. That, yes, yeah, I did. Yeah. I suppose there was... There were some out there that liked me. <laughs> I mean, pipe smoking back then, I, I didn't have any friends that were into it. I mean, it was, you know, it wasn't like a... Um, you had friends that smoked other pipes, but not... Uh... Yeah, well, yeah, that was definitely going on. Yeah, that was definitely going on. But I just, I like pipe smoking right away. It, it, it had a... See, for me, a good magic show, when you go see a good magic show, you should feel the thousands of years of history inside that magic show. It should be in there. Even if it's a modern type show, there's this energy that a magic show has inside that you should feel. And for me, pipe smoking is like that. When I'm smoking a pipe, it's like you just feel this, this history all wrapped up into it in this one moment of smoking the pipe. And I've always liked things like that. And for me, pipe smoking kind of fit the bill. I, I like cigars, but I it, it just didn't have... It's like the difference between pipe smoking and cigars for me is like an automatic and a stick shift. And the pipe is the stick shift. It's like a little bit more control and 
you got to take care of it more. And I don't know. It's just, it's just the one I always, you know, thought was the one. We're gonna. This is a perfect spot to take a break. We're gonna take a break right here. We'll come back. We'll talk more about pipes, and then we're gonna do some magic, right? You gotcha on the radio. <laughs> we'll be back in just a minute. Meet Aaron, one of the most important people at SmokingPipes.com. In our shipping department, he's one of the cogs in the highly efficient wheel, if you will, that's responsible for making sure your order goes out right every time. Ain't that right, Aaron? I don't know all about that cog and the wheel stuff, but I do know at SmokingPipes.com, I take my work very seriously. Pulling tents of tobacco, weighing bulk tobacco, triple checking orders, and getting them out the door. Since it's so easy to order from SmokingPipes.com, you're keeping Aaron pretty darn busy. Look at him go, go, go. <laughs> in fact, it's been a challenge to get him to stop long enough to say hello. But Aaron doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why is that, Aaron? Because I don't just ship pipes. I smoke them. Gotta run. <laughs> just log on to SmokingPipes.com or call us at 1-888-366-0345. We are quality. We are experts. We are SmokingPipes.com. We are back, and Adam has not disappeared on me. Haha, <laughs> sorry, had to nope, work that in. I'm here. Okay. <laughs> so, pipe smoking, you started out young. Did you stick with it all the way through college and everything? Yeah. There was a few breaks. There was a few times where I took a little bit of a break. But uh, for me, pipe smoking was a big part of touring in the rock band because I was surrounded by lots of booze and lots of drugs. Yeah. Um, lots. And for me, I don't drink or do drugs. And so it was for me at the end of the night after playing shows and whatnot, it was my quiet time. I would go be with me and Mr. Pipe and just sit and puff on it. So, yeah, I, I pretty much have kept it up. And I have a tobacco journal. I write down new blends, all English, all English blends. Um, Did you I've yet to find an aromatic that I like. Did you start off on English, or did you try any aromatics when you were first playing I around did. with Grandpa's Dunhills? Yeah. Yes, I did. I mean, when I first went into that pipe shop in State College, of course, you open the jars, and the ones that you smell, it smell nice, are the aromatics. And so I remember one of the first blends I liked was called the Black Sea Blend, and it, had a, it was like a really dark black Cavendish with Samsoon in it. I believe that's one of the tobaccos that was in it. And um, I, I liked that one for a while. But then somebody there said, you should try an English. And uh, that was it. I had the English. It was like a, um, I think the first English I had was a, a, a store blend that was similar to like a 965. Yeah. Um, that was it. <laughs> Done. I mean, I that was it. You were off and running. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once I had that, it was no turning back. I mean, it's like... I mean, I could taste, like, for me, the aromatic thing is I can't, I don't get the nuances when I'm smoking it. Um, the English, I get it. I mean, throughout the bowl, I can feel and smell and taste all the different nuance changes. And so. Now, you said you don't particularly like the billiard shape. Does your pipe collection yeah. lean one style over the other? Or? Yeah, lots of horn shapes. I like horns. Um I, I like, yeah, I'm looking right now. I don't have that many pipes. I have le I have about 20 pipes. I basically get, it's, it was like one a year, and it's very hard for me to find ones that I like. Um, so it's about one a year. I have one Meerschaum, a couple Clays, three Petersons, two Nordings, one really good, one of the high-grade Nordings, a horn shape that's one of my favorite. And most of them are horn shapes. Yeah, I'm looking now. <laughs> it's kind of funny. So, so not only are you into magic and into pipe smoking, but you're into a very obscure shape of a pipe as well. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, I, I just, I, I don't know. I don't know what it was that turned me on. I have a Peterson Church Warden that I use for tasting blends. It's like a, if I have a new blend, I put it in there sometimes. Um, I don't know why. <laughs> 
<laughs> no reason. Um, I do smoke certain blends out of certain pipes. Like when I'm smoking the um, the traditional English 965 stuff, I'll put it in the Dunhill. Um, my horns are like my favorite pipe right now. It's about three years old. It's an Ardor horn that it's paneled and sandblasted, and the bowl doesn't go straight up. It's at an angle. It literally looks like a horn, and it's really it was really hard to smoke when I first got it. And it's my favorite pipe right now. I, I, it, I this, is my, this is the one. It's really big too. Um, Have you worked the pipe smoking into your show at all? Mm, that's a good question. N- not really. Um, it's funny. There's there's two traditional magic tricks with pipes. One is a clay pipe magic trick, and you'll find it in really old books where you have these clay pipes, and you show them empty, and you start puffing on them, and they smoke. Ooh. And the other one is, and that one, that's a chemical thing. I'll give you the secret on that one. It's like a, it's a chemical reaction happening. No one does it. I've never seen it done live, and I've never met anybody that heard of anybody that does it anymore. It's like a, it's about a 70-year-old magic act. And then there's multiplying pipes where you have these pipes that, you know the billiard ball trick where you have the balls that appear on your fingers? Yeah. Um, in between. So there's a pipe version of that. I've never seen it done live. It, the pipes don't look good. They look kind of weird. Um, I do have, I, I, right now I have, a, one of the things I do is I, I have a variety show that I tour with two other performers. Um, and one of the performers eats about 15 cigarettes in an act lit. So we have a cigarette act where we all walk out smoking and we're handing him cigarettes and he's eating them. <laughs> but... <laughs> I, the problem is you can't smoke anymore indoors. It's very hard to pull off. And I've yet to come up with something that you can do with a pipe on a large stage that looks cool. You can make it float. I've messed around with that. But it doesn't have any impact. So the pipe... Actually, I take that back. I have one act that I use a pipe in just as a prop. But it's just a prop. It doesn't do anything. How often do you smoke? Um... Maybe about three bowls a day. So you do get you use it as a time off relaxation tool. Yeah, yeah, or driving. I do a lot of driving, lots of driving to gigs. So get in the car, load up one of the larger bowls, and you know, drive away. And so yeah, about three, four. And you live in the New York area, so you've got plenty of traffic to sit in sometimes. Oh, it's horrible! Horrible. <laughs> Yeah. No, I'm in traffic all the time. In New York City, owning a car is crazy. It's, I mean, I have to have one because I drive so much, but it's, um, there'll be times where, you know, you're looking for parking and it takes literally an hour driving around in circles. It's crazy. And you, you only have, you have a small pipe collection, but you've been smoking for a while. Does, mm-hmm. when you're looking at a pipe, what is it that finally makes you pull the trigger on buying that pipe? Uh, well, like this Ardor horn I was telling you about, I, I was in Barclay Rex, which is one of the New York pipe shops in the city. And I saw it, and I said, you know what, I'm never going to see that again. It's a weird shape. It's a weird pipe. Uh, I'm never going to see it again. And I liked it. I mean, right away, I was like, good Lord, that's gorgeous. And it's so gorgeous that, like, if I'm in public smoking it, I get stopped every five seconds. Oh, my God, look at that thing. It's crazy looking. Um I don't know. I, I just they hit me over the head. Like like you did a show on uh, the guy that does the Halloween pipes. Yeah, Trevor Talbert. And, all right. Okay. So I went to his website and freaked out on some of his pipes. I mean, really, like his stuff is. He had a Goblin series that were like priced affordable. Like not some his Halloween pipes are very expensive, and should be. They're beautiful works of art. The goblin pipes looked more, and I some of those shapes right away. I was like, "Wow, these are for me." So eventually, I'm going to grab one of those. <laughs> All mm-hmm. right. So should we should we try this magic? I mean, how do we how do we do this? You you All sent right. me. I'll, I'll, yeah, I sent you a email, and you got it right. Yep. And we're going to post so this picture on. We're going to post whatever's in this email onto the show yep. page down below. So. Everybody that's it. listening can play along. Well, actually, they can't see it before the trick, so actually it might not work if you post it. All right, don't, well, don't scroll down yes. yet. Yeah, don't, yeah. 
Okay. So here's here's the deal. You're gonna you're gonna um, imagine some things because I'm not sitting beside you like I can't do anything. So it's all gonna be in our imaginations. So imagine in your left hand, you've got a lighter. Yeah. Which you probably actually have a real lighter in your hand. <laughs> um, and imagine in front of you floating are playing cards, all 52, and you can see them clearly. And uh, we'll, we'll do this. We'll make on one side is all the number cards, and on the other side is all the picture cards, right? Okay. You're going to be burning some of these in a second with that lighter in your imagination. So right now, which ones are you going to set on fire, the numbers or the pictures? Whichever one you want, we set on fire. Which uh, one? The pictures. Okay, now you got the pictures. You're going up to it with the lighter. Now, hold on a second here. Okay. Before you actually light that lighter, we're going to split these in half now. you got the men, the kings and the jacks, and the women, the queens. Which ones are you going to light on fire? Uh, I like women, so the kings and jacks we're going to burn. All right, boom. You actually light it, and they're cooked. They're gone. Okay? All right. Now, you got the ladies. You've got the red ladies and the black ladies. You've got the red queens and the black queens. You're going to take your lighter, and you're going to set the black ones or the red ones. Which one? Um, the red ones. You light them, boom, they're cooked. They're gone. You are left with the queen of clubs and the queen of spades. Now, this is how this is going to work. You're going to, in your imagination, take the queen of clubs and the queen of spades, Hold them in your hand and light them both on fire. Okay? Okay. They're burning, and now you're going to give me one. Are you going to give me the queen of clubs or the queen of spades? The queen of spades. You're giving me the queen of spades. It's very interesting that you gave me that card on fire. Because earlier tonight, I took a picture of me holding one playing card on fire. And you'll never believe what it is. Go look at the picture. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to tell everybody what it is. I'm going to make them scroll down and look now. <laughs> but and there um, you go. <laughs> yeah. So okay. Um. So for, for <laughs> all right. While I while I. Stop burning cards here. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank God they're imaginary. Yeah. Because uh, the only cards I have at home are left over from the MGM when I work there in Vegas. Oh, uh, there you go. What do you What do you tell people that are that want to get? What do you tell kids that want to get into magic? I, I teach magic classes all the time. I teach kids. I teach adults. I got like Wall Street guys that take magic class, and I mean. To go into it professionally is a whole other brain. If you want to do it as a hobby, it's an excellent hobby. I mean, if you're a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher, it's a great thing that you can use as a um, as a, a, a tool to bridge the gap between meeting people. You know, you're a businessman at a convention, and you do a trick at the bar after the meetings. Guess who they remember? They remember the guy that did the magic trick. So. I tell everybody it's a great hobby. As a profession, it's it's it's, and it's pretty much all of the entertainment industry. If you're going to do it full time, it's I look at it like a religious order. Um, you got to commit to it. It's it's not easy. You're a self-employed entertainer. Um, it's not easy. Um, there's lots of lots of things going on. Um, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of stress. And on top of it, you got to perform. So you've got to be on your game at all times. So it's not an easy gig. So and there's a lot of kids. I tell them magic's an excellent, excellent thing to learn. Um, I, one of the flaws with magic uh, I found is it's an extrovert art form that attracts introverts. <laughs> um and I, there's a lot of guys that are professional that I don't think should be performing because they're not very good performers. They might be good at sleight of hand and have some clever ideas, but as a showman, as an entertainer, they're lacking. Um, so I tell everybody, if you're going to learn magic, it's a performance art. You know, Don't forget, you're an actor performing. That's the main thing. 
I was teaching a magic class today, um, a bunch of kids, and I said, you can be an awesome sleight-of-hand artist and a lousy showman, um, or you could be a master showman and a lousy sleight-of-hand artist. Which one's able to pull it off? Well, the master showman, you know? <laughs> and thus we have He's David Copperfield. Like, yeah, no, that's a lot of these guys, yeah. There's a lot of, or you can be a horrible showman and a horrible sleight of hand guy and get edited for television. That's a whole other discussion. <laughs> um, you know, TV is very friendly to a terrible performer because you can edit the heck out of it and make it look nice. But yeah, it's a performance art. It's, it's, like, um, it's like being an actor on stage. It's the same thing. The difference would be, you know, I get hired to do everything from bar mitzvahs to corporate gigs to, you know, just about any weddings. And you're a performer, but you're walking into, like, unknown territory every time you do a show. So it's different than doing a theater show where people are coming to you and sitting in a theater. You're, you're sometimes walking into, like, you know, people's lives. You know, when you do a bar mitzvah, you're walking into another family. You're not a family member, so what do you do? you got to make friends with them and become a family member for that hour or two that you're there so that's a, that's a big part of it too do you think that when you're on when you're on stage performing are you a different character than your normal person uh for me no um there are guys like that where they literally go into a different mode i i, I just turn myself up a little bit i turn it to 11 that's about <laughs> it I, I i'm a fan of the more you can be yourself and let all your little idiosyncrasies and things pop out live, um, the better it's going to be because you're, you're you and it's real. Oh, uh, here's a good question. What, what's the closest art form to performing magic, a magic show? This is a good trivia question. What's the closest thing that we have today that's the same format as a magic show? I was going to say Any a, pick, idea? a pickpocket or a, or a con artist. Mm. Uh, mm. Now, you're never going to believe this. The closest art form to a magic show is professional wrestling. And the reason is, it's a very interesting scenario. The wrestlers know it's choreographed. The audience knows it's choreographed, but together they pretend it's real for that moment. And that's pretty much what a modern magic show is. The magician knows it's, it's trickery. The audience knows it's trickery. But they come together and share this experience where they both kind of pretend that it's real. And if you're a good magician, you might make them think about it for a second. Like, wait, maybe that was real. What was that? So I think if you're being yourself is the key. If you can really let your inner character come out on in, in that show, you're going to have a better show. All right. Adam's website is mm. Cardone the Magician. C-A-R-D-O-N-E-T-H-E-M-A-G-I-C-I-A-N.com. And that's where we can yep. get a hold of you. Yep. If you're in the New York Facebook, area. Facebook, me too. Facebook. Yep, Facebook too. And New York Variety All-Stars is the variety show I tour with. And that's Facebook too. And we can also see that's where it. you're going to be on your website and yep. on Facebook. Yep. And we will... Adam Cardone on Facebook. <laughs> we'll wrap this up with the Fast Five final questions. No right answer, yep. no wrong answer, whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? Yep, fire away. What's your favorite pipe? Right now, the Ardor horn, that's the one for right right at this moment. Um, but I'd have to, other than that, I don't, I, it's hard to say. I like them all for different reasons, but the Ardor horn, let's stick with that. What's your favorite tobacco? The one I smoke the longest um, and just have a great smoking relationship with would be Skiff, San Gallus. That one I love, but I do like um, Dark Star from McClellan. Um, full Virginia Flake from uh, Gallus, and what else? I like 965, too. So, <laughs> What's your favorite drink? Moxie soda, hands down, which is impossible to find where you're at. And it's actually hard to find in New York. I was going to say, but we got cheer wine all over the place. Oh, yeah. yeah I like some oddball sodas. When it's time to relax, is it a book, a movie, or music? Well, I would say out of those three, I would pick music. But my favorite thing to do is sitting down with a pipe and painting. 
Warhammer miniatures. That's my favorite relaxation. Because magic and pipe smoking isn't odd enough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you and, got it. And finally, what's your favorite pipe smoking memory? Um, I would say I have I have two. One is that state college shop I was telling you about. I was driving home, which is about a forty minute drive. That was the closest pipe shop. I had, like, Vivaldi cranking in the car at an old Honda Civic, and I was smoking, driving through the mountains of Pennsylvania, which are gorgeous, and there was just a moment. I, I, I can still see it. And this is, like, what, 20-some years ago. Of just mountains, the music, the pipes, it hit me over the head. That's definitely one. And my other favorite pipe-smoking moment like that would be I go to the beach all the time, and um, where we surf... I put surfboards, like, I make, like, a little hut so I can hide out underneath it and keep out of the sun, and I sit under there and smoke like a chimney. <laughs> that sounds nice in this That's cold it. weather. Um, yeah, not now, yeah. Adam, thank you very much. I'm going to perform a magic trick, and we're uh, we're both going to disappear, so. You gotcha. Thank we'll, you. We'll be back in just a minute. There's nothing quite like a good book, or my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. See for yourself at corncobpipe.com. Signore, signore, scusi per favore, but what is that intoxicating and delicious aroma coming from your pipe? Oh, uh, this is Molto Dolce, my all-time favorite blend from Sutliff Tobacco. Do you like it? I found it on SutliffMoltoDolce.com. Do you mind if I try? Oh, signore, this truly is Molto Dolce. So charming that you even speak my language as it is truly very sweet. <laughs> just like you, I am sure. I can just taste the warm caramel and sweet dripping honey gushing through my mouth. Oh, and even better, the rich vanilla flavor plays so well with the other tastes over my tongue. It is like they are all having a giant playful pillow fight on smooth and silky sheets of tobacco in my mouth. Pure heaven! Mi piace moltissimo, mi amore. Can't you see it, signore? I can see it. I can see it. And signore, best of all, no tongue bite. Grazie un milione for the pipe, signore. Hey! Satleft Tobacco Company will not be held responsible for any loss of one's favorite pipe customers may experience when smoking our delicious Malto Dolce blend in public. This is Internet Radio. Welcome back. I know I keep saying it over and over again, but boy, what a cast of uh, characters and unique people involved in our hobby. There you go. Now you got a pipe-smoking magician. Need a magician for an event? You know exactly where to go to. All right, in just a few minutes, music, mailbag. But in the meantime, got a little uh, parody fun piece from Bob Bittner. So enjoy this. Quiet! Leaf Laboratories, commercial radio auditions, take one! I'm not just a smoker. I'm a meerkat smoker. After five hours of tenderizing over a smoldering bed of mesquite chips, Meerkat makes the most delicious... Stop! We're advertising pipe smoking here. Next! My name's Aaron, and I love my job at Leaf Laboratories because I don't just ship pipes. I make little outfits for them. And when they're all lined up in their little dresses and suits, we pretend... Next! Every time I smoke Leaf Laboratories moldy dolce con leche pipe tobacco, I have to beat Italian women off with a stick, which unfortunately I've learned is against the law. But once all the restraint... Next! There's nothing like fishing at dawn, and there's nothing quite like skinny dipping with the fish just as the sun comes up and feeling all of their Stop. little... Will someone please just read the script? Leaf Laboratories, makers of Persian Passion, Bambi Burley, Mickey's Melange, and Vampire Virginia. 
a surprise in every tin. Thank you. Uh, what about this three-paragraph government-issued warning statement? Oh, we're good. Leaf Laboratories. We may not be your first choice in pipes and tobaccos, but we will be your last. <laughs> I've heard that several times now, and it still makes me laugh almost to the point where my eyes are watering. But uh, Bob's got one heck of a sense of humor, so... Uh, anyway, I'm going to roll right into music while I uh, catch my breath from that piece. Uh, tonight, Summertime by George Gershwin, a pipe smoker, Charlie Parker on uh, saxophone. So enjoy that and I'll be caught up with you in just a minute. All right, well, I feel better now. All cheered up thanks to uh, Adam, Bob, and uh, George Gershwin. So, uh, Speaking of music, coming up this weekend here in Charlotte, Friday and Saturday, the Charlotte Symphony will be performing a commission piece from my friend and past guest Dan Locklear. Phoenix for Orchestra will be premiered. It was a commission piece that Dan did specifically for the Charlotte Symphony. So that's this weekend if you're in the Charlotte area. Check it out. You might be able to get tickets. CharlotteSymphony.org. You've got some mail. Some iTunes reviews, which we greatly appreciate and would appreciate you leaving us a review and a rating if you get a chance. M. Sandoval858 writes, whether you're a casual pipe smoker or an enthusiast collector, this is the go-to show. Keep up the good work. Thank you. And uh, Yo Chillum, Y-O-C-H-I-L-L-U-M, writes, uh, The show keeps getting better with age. Over the past few weeks, I've marathoned through every episode. Brian, this truly is my pipe club on the airways. Hope to see you at, at the Chicago show and shake your hand. Thanks so much for all the hard work that goes into the program. You are very welcome. I will be at the Chicago show uh, May 2nd, 3rd, 4th. May 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th. Don't forget Chicago Pipe Show. 
On the forums from last week's show, Yazimataz writes, Listening now with a Nording freehand packed with Wessex Brown Virginia Flake accompanied by Maker's Mark. I can agree on the Maker's Mark for sure. Uh, Parker says, Great show. I'd like to hear more of these roundtable type discussions. Years of experience and knowledge heard here. And uh, M. Sandoval858, also on the forums. And left us the uh, iTunes feedback. Appreciate that. He says, finally had a chance to sit down and enjoy the show last night. Great one. Uh, PJ Hicks, great format. I'd love to hear more giants of our hobby in a series of roundtable discussions. Uh, SS Jones, moderator Al. That was an excellent show. Rick's description of a pipe versus a cigarette or a cigar was an analogy I'll use in the future. I also enjoyed the commentary on what constitutes a master pipe maker. Yeah, that master discussion, I heard that over and over again afterwards, and that, that piqued my interest too. Uh, Trail Boss says, in response to Al, yeah, that would be cool. I'd love the show as for master pipe maker. I think that would be hard to nail down. People are on a different curve, so to speak. People have differing range rates of progression and john seiler wrote in i'll uh, trim this down a little bit says uh, you had well thought out questions that hit some key areas for all pipe collectors and people in the hobby questions that i wanted that i would want to ask them at a show your rant preaches to the choir good show brian uh balsifer from canada up to the north where they have the uh, hockey gold medal uh, great show this week. Enjoyed your guests, especially when they compared the different pipe designs around the world, especially their opinion between mass-produced pipes and artisan-made pipes. I'm hoping that you may have similar guests talking about the latest tobacco blends, especially the different bulk blends and how they compare to the tin blends out there. Th- that would be fun. Uh, let me just say in response to doing more roundtables like that, that was a lot of fun. It was a a bit of a coordinating effort, and uh, to get two guys with busy schedules like that to set aside some time and get them all on one night, yeah, that was tough, but I really did enjoy it, thought it came off great. Uh, Dino says, wow, three, count them, three giants of our community talking pipes, well, two giants and me. Uh, more than an hour of informative, erudite, and entertaining discussion. It was like sitting at one of the tables in the smoking tent at the Chicago show, May 2nd, 3rd, 4th, listening in while people who know freewheeled about their love of all things pipe. Uh, and thanks, Rick, for that wonderful Ed Lehman story. Ed was a prince of a guy with whom to share a bowl in conversation. Uh, Dino goes on to say, that's the beauty of your show, Brian. You are, as Casper Gutman says to Sam Spade, a man who likes talking to a man who likes to talk. And we get to listen in. How cool is that? Uh, Neil K., great show. Nice to hear new diverse opinions on pipe parts. I do appreciate your opinion, Brian, but it's nice to know that there are many right ways in the pipe hobby. It was great to hear Eric Paulson mentioned. I, too, Googled for a devil ant shape and found Eric Paulson. I've had my Paulson devil ants pipe for several months and really like it. You know, I think Neil said it there. It is nice to hear other people's opinions and I'm not saying that my opinion's always right, but my, my opinion is mine. Find your own and make it right. Uh, Chaz says, thanks guys. I savored the whole thing. And now I know I'm not alone. I'm a retired tradesman, and this was true bench talk. What a joy to find. Fuel Pump said, and this is a long one, but it's interesting. Uh, Brian, this was a great way to celebrate IPSD with the roundtable discussion with the three of you. They brought up some great points for contemplation. The first point that hit me was the talk about troubles finding pipe supplies while traveling. I recently was on a business trip in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'd brought a couple of pipes, extra pipe cleaners, plenty of tobacco, and even an extra pipe tool. However, since I was flying, I only brought a few matches because I thought I would be able to pick up more at the hotel. 
Then, after using my last match, I went to the counter, and the clerk told me that, seeing as it was a non-smoking hotel, they do not keep matches. Ha! <laughs> Save some money for them, huh? Uh, I was dropped off at the hotel after our meeting and was planning to use the airport shuttle the next morning. I wound up having to walk down to a convenience store to pick up a little lighter. Fortunately, I did get to have a nice smoke eventually, but it took a bit of a hike across busy streets around the airport to find a light. I even had a few people show up when I was sitting out on the bench in the parking lot to talk to me about my pipe. The other point that I liked was that since the interest in pipe smoking has declined over the years, the mass producers have to modify their processing to stay in business. This has made the individual pipe makers more appealing to the general smokers. This seems to be a return to basics for both sides of the pipe making industry, so we need to embrace this and get the best out of both sources. Great show, Brian. Uh, I will say to you, next time you're in Charlotte, Hit me up. I'm only 25, 30 minutes from the airport. And I've got matches and pipe cleaners. Uh, and finally, Casey Ghost says, Wonderful show. A lot of nice back and forth between everyone. Like many in the hobby, I am really taken aback by the prices a number of new carvers want to charge. And just about all of these carvers have the same weakness. Poorly executed stems. That's one thing we can all agree on. I love a stem. All right, rant time coming up next. There's nothing quite like hunting at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. Do you need a reliable source for ordering pipes and tobacco? Do you find it difficult to get your favorite blends outside of the U.S.? Fournoggins.com stocks all of your favorite pipes and tobaccos and ships all over the world. All forms of payment are accepted and orders are processed the same day. There are no worries when ordering from Fournoggins.com. Fournoggins.com is your source for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. We ship in the U.S. and international with no worries. Fournoggins.com for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. Can I touch on a bit of a political hot button issue for a minute, please? I want to touch on the current health care problems here in the United States. Now, we here at Brigham USA, we classify our products into two different categories. A durable good is considered to be a pipe. A pipe or a tamper or a cigar cutter. Once you buy one, it lasts you multiple uses over and over again, and as long as you take care of it, you'll have it for forever. A consumable is a pipe cleaner or tobacco. Once you use the pipe cleaner, once you smoke the tobacco, you no longer have it, therefore it's been consumed. All right, so we now have durable and we have consumables. Well, my daughter, type 1 diabetic, we've talked about her before. She is required by the doctor to test her blood sugar six to eight times a day. Each time she does that, it requires a little test strip. The test strip is good for one use and one use only, then you discard it. Those now, under the new insurance rulings here by the two insurance companies that are available in North Carolina since uh, January 1st, test strips are now considered to be a durable medical good. What that does is that takes it out of the prescription benefit and moves it into purely a deductible benefit, thus raising our costs about $400 to $500 total for the year. If it's only good for one use, how can it be a durable item? To me, a durable medical good is something like a wheelchair, crutches, uh, her blood sugar meter, the meter itself, because you can use it over and over again, an insulin pump that she has, because you can use it over and over again, but not the test strips. The doctor has told her how frequently she wants my daughter to test, 
and sometimes more often. But each time you use that test strip, it's good for only one test and one test only. Therefore, it's not durable. Now, coming up in a couple of weeks, ways to help people like my daughter dealing with type 1 diabetes, the JDRF auctions. If you've got something you'd like to donate, we got a couple of pipes coming in for, that have been donated from some companies for us. We'll be auctioning those off with my friend Steve Fallon and his Pipe Stud eBay store. All the benefits, all the proceeds going directly to JDRF and help research to find a cure for type 1 diabetes. So if you got something... Email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. We'd appreciate your help. We'll get that going last three weekends in March. All right, I want to thank Adam for joining me. I want to say another thank you to Sykes and Rick for making International Pipe Smoking Day such a special, special episode for all of us. I want to thank you for tuning in, and thank you to the Sutliff Tobacco Company. And until next time. Cares about the clouds when we're together. Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy Hey, Rocky, watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat.